Today's Pentecost. It's a wonderful Sunday, probably one of my favorite throughout the year. Pentecost occurred 50 days after Easter. Jesus rose from the dead and spent 40 days with his disciples. And then he ascended into heaven and told his disciples to go and wait for him in Jerusalem. And 10 days later, when they were waiting for him in the upper room of Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit fell and shook the world in a way that would continue to shake the world even until today. And we have the opportunity to partner in what the Holy Spirit came to do. And often when we talk about Pentecost or we talk about the Holy Spirit, we tend to lean towards talking about spiritual gifts and the things like miracles or speaking in tongues. And those things are important. But in John chapter 16, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who's here to guide us into all truth. And so we're gonna read this passage and we're gonna talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to lead us into all truth today. So we'll read these passages for us real quick. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What Jesus is letting us know here is it's better for the Holy Spirit to come and be living and active and present in every believer's life all over the world than it is for Jesus and human flesh to be in one small place at one time on the earth. So the Holy Spirit comes because he can do what Jesus as a man in the flesh can't, which is be everywhere at once. And so the Holy Spirit comes and so it's better that Jesus goes into heaven so that we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. And he will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. And all these things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and he will disclose it to you. So today we're going to be focusing on the role of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth in our lives. And what does it look like for us to continue to grow and mature in our faith as he leads us into all truth? So today's sermon is titled, Faith That Works. And we're gonna be talking about passages from the Sermon on the Mount in the book of James. And the Sermon on the Mount and book of James are basically parallels. The brother of Jesus wrote James as basically expanding and highlighting same aspects from it. So we're gonna be talking through those. And it's important for us to recognize this quote from Dallas Willard, which grace isn't opposed to effort, but to earning. There is nothing that you or I could ever do to earn our salvation. The only way that you and I can enter in to relationship with Jesus into eternity in heaven is to put our faith and trust in what Jesus did for us. But Jesus called us to live a life of obedience according to what he teaches. And unfortunately, we over time began to believe this easy believism in our faith where all that was asked of us was to say one prayer one time. And there was no cost, there was no call 
to being a follower of Jesus. But grace isn't opposed to effort, but to earning. So today we're gonna talk about putting effort into our faith as we are guided by the Holy Spirit into all truth. Thomas Akempis, he's one uh, of probably the men who's impacted my faith more than any. He has an amazing book called The Imitation of Christ. I encourage you to get it if you haven't read it before. He has a quote, for a small reward, a man will hurry away on a long journey, while for eternal life, many will hardly take a single step. And when I read this quote, it made me think about the number of times I'm talking with people who claim to be followers of Christ, but don't commit themselves to read their Bible on a daily basis or pray on a regular basis or put into practice the regular things that Jesus teaches. If we say that we are followers of Jesus and we believe that this is the reality that you and I live in, how is it possible to live in the world and not in this book and keep reality where it's meant to be? It's not possible. If you are not living and breathing in this book, your entire world will be shifted according to the present physical flesh and not the eternal present moment. So we have to make sure that we are in this stuff and we have to commit ourselves to not just letting life be busy. What's most important? This is. You can't love your wife, you can't love your kids, you can't love your friends, you can't love your neighbor if you are not filled with this book. This is truth. This is what the Holy Spirit is seeking to get into you and I. One of my favorite quotes of all time from G.K. Chesterton. My point is that the world did not tire of the church's ideal, but of its reality. Monasteries were impunged not for the chastity of the monks, but for the unchastity of the monks. Christianity was unpopular, not because of the humility, but the arrogance of the Christians. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. It is hard to discipline yourself to live the way of Jesus in a world that doesn't bow to him. We have to commit ourselves to live according to the ideal, according to the eternal purposes of God, if we want to make a true significant impact in the world by how we live our lives. Now we're gonna to get to our James passages in Matthew passage. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For at once he has looked at himself and gone away. He has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is it? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. The demons also believe and shudder 
But are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. We're about to read a passage about um, fruit and that we should know people by their fruit. It is true that we should not judge anybody, but we should be fruit inspectors, especially in the church. There should be a tangible evidence in your life that you're growing to become more like Christ over time. As the Holy Spirit leads you into all truth, if you or I are not truly submitted to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus in our lives, we will not be led into that type of life where we become a people that produces fruit and that that will multiply as we make disciples. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles. And I don't know about either of those, but I'm assuming it's true. Are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the, tra- bad tree bears, the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. If you say you are his, it should be obvious by the way that you and I live our daily, weekly, monthly, yearly lives. If your calendar is not submitted to the kingdom of God, you might not be either. We have to make sure that our lives are ordered around what is most important and then we add. We don't make sure we have what we want and then see where God fits in because then you will do that with your whole life and you will end up in places you're not supposed to be and you won't be led by the Holy Spirit into all truth because you're not giving him space to do so. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and it was a great fall. I think that's the right slide. Hebrews 6, one through two. Therefore, leaving elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. That language by itself, it is effort to press on past the basics of our Christian faith and seek in order to find. You have to search, you have to pray, you have to fast, you have to intercede for breakthrough. You have to run after growing into a person that is like Christ. It doesn't just happen to us. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. A bunch of those things are just orthodox Christian faith. When you believe in Jesus, 
you should understand those things. And if you don't, it's hard to say you're a Christian because you don't know what you put your faith in if you don't understand most of those basic things. So what this is saying is, once you learn these things that are foundational, you should be building off of those things, not having to keep returning to relearn what those things mean. We should remind ourselves of those things, but there are things for us to mature and press on into beyond just the things that should be foundational for us. John Ortberg, we have largely traded wisdom for information, depth for breadth. We want microwave maturity. We live at a time in history where everything is instant gratification. We want fast internet, fast texting. We want food done in a minute. We don't have any patience. We want all things in our life to go quick. We want to grow to be like Jesus right now. But the way that the Lord typically works is over long periods of time through small faithful obedience steps. It is all of a sudden you look back and you're really far down the path because for years you chose to faithfully say yes to the little things that most people say no to. That's what our faith is about. We believe, we're a charismatic church. We believe that the Holy Spirit is living and active in every possible way. He works in gifts, in miracles, in healings, all of the different lists from Corinthians to Peter to Ephesians. That is for now. But the truth is, if you look throughout all of human history, God, most of the time, doesn't choose to do the miracle the majority of the time. He chooses to work over long periods of time to grow people into the image of Christ. He could snap his fingers, but he chooses to go on a journey with us. And we have to choose to commit ourselves to that journey, or we won't be led by the spirit of truth into all truth. The fruit of maturity looks like this, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And then the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Oswald Chambers, spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of years, but by obedience to the will of God. It is true that most of the time, the most mature people in the faith are going to be the oldest people in the room because they have had the opportunity to be the most obedient over the longest period of time. And that's a beautiful thing. But it's also true that there can be old people that aren't spiritually mature at all because they said no to the things that they should have been obedient to. And so we want to commit ourselves to be a people that live according to the things that Jesus teaches us so that we can become spiritually mature and create generational impact and make resilient disciples in the face of the world that is so against it. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord being fervent in spirit and he was accurately speaking and teaching of the things about Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began speaking boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately to him. There is always more. There is no one in this room has reached the peak, who has solved all the mysteries, who has figured it out. There is a more accurately that you and I can commit ourselves to. And Jesus is asking that we would take the journey of submitting to the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, and allow him to guide us into all truth through conviction, through repentance, and through obedience. And in that process, he becomes the greatest companion that anyone could ever have. And you can't go a day without him. And it's amazing.
We're gonna talk a little bit um, in a practical way of what this can look like in our lives. And I'm just gonna put it side by side with some scientific understanding for us to be able to picture it as we talk about it. Typically, how the spirit of truth matures us looks something like this. And I wanna say, I'm gonna be talking about it from like the you just became a Christian to now you're a mature adult in the faith. But this also works in smaller levels. So you could be spiritually mature in your understanding of living in the joy that Christ has for you. But you could be maybe spiritually uh, an infant or in your infancy stage in your understanding of mercy towards other people. And so there's always places in our lives where we may be mature and we may be weak. And so there's never like an end. You don't just like become an adult and you're like, I'm all adult. There's always immaturities that we have to surrender to God to grow into what he has for us. And so we're gonna walk through um, these few things. So infancy, the starting stage, like, a newborn, like newborn babies long for pure spiritual milk of the word so that by it, you may grow in respect to salvation. When people first become Christians, they take time, they take energy, and they take resources. And that is right and good. All of the stages we're going to talk about, not, one is not better than the other because you have to go through each stage to reach the next. So nothing that I'm going to say has anything negative to do with position. This is just how it works. Anytime anyone starts at anything, they are really bad at it. But anything worth doing is worth doing bad. So we want people to enter into the kingdom and understand that they have an overabundance of grace as they learn to walk in the ways of Jesus. In this infancy stage, if someone just gets saved and they have very crude and vulgar language, and the only way they know how to express how they feel is to cuss while they're worshiping at the front, that is okay. And later we will take them aside and encourage them and equip them and be like, hey, maybe that's not something we should do at the front. Maybe we'll go in the back and the gradual process of growth. But the point is we are too quick to force adulthood on people that need to be fed like they're an infant. They need the pure spiritual milk. These are the basics of the Christian faith. This is right and good for you to receive these things. And we give and we give and we give. And we don't complain if they're not serving because if my wife, my beautiful wife is pregnant and she is about a little over a week away from the due date with our son. When my son shows up, I am not gonna be frustrated when he's not paying rent. <laughs> That's not the point. That's not the stage of life. I accept that I'm going to be pouring out my time, my energy, my resources into my sweet little boy and understand I'm exhausted and it is a good and right thing because that is the season we are in. We do not want to quench the joy of salvation. The world will do that, sin will do that, and life will do that. We want to encourage and equip for the journey. We do not wanna be people that smush the joy of salvation. And then we move on to childhood, standards. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter into it at all. In this stage, much like with regular children, everything needs to be black and white. You have direct communication. You're not trying to create complex things. When my son is hungry, I say, do you want this or this? And he picks. When I say, what do you want? It's like a 10 hour conversation to figure out what we're trying to get to because the complexity doesn't make sense. So it's simple, basic Christian foundations. It's that stuff that we read from Hebrews 6. 
In this stage, you are shoring up the foundation of newer believers so that as they enter into adolescence, as we're about to talk about, when they're in confusion, when they're in difficulty, they fall back onto a firm foundation. This is why spiritual family and our nuclear families being submitted to Jesus and raising kids in the way that they should go allows them to run into walls the world has and fall back onto a firm foundation. And that is what this stage is about. Actually, I wanna read the thing at the bottom. We do not wanna create confusion with complexity and we want to protect the innocence of children. We want to make sure that we are doing things very straightforward. Complexity will come, but what is needed in this stage is this is good and this is bad. We'll talk about nuance later. Adolescence, the stage that I would call surgery, where as you enter into this stage, you begin to dig in to the things that were foundational as you run into confusion in the world. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, and reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's a disruption to clear understanding. If you have teenagers, there's this process of rebellion and fighting against the things that are supposed to be normal based off what you taught them. And there's this wrestling that occurs. And same in our spiritual faith. When we've been raised in a certain way and we have these foundations in our lives, all of a sudden we run into tragedy or suffering or difficulty or things that we never thought would happen to me or to us. And in those moments, you wrestle with God. And it's that wrestling that ultimately strengthens us. There's like the hot topic word of deconstruction in our culture and deconstructing our faith. Deconstruction is not a problem if you're looking for Jesus in the midst of deconstructing. If you're just trying to just dismantle things for the sake of dismantling, you're gonna end up nowhere. But if your foundation is on Christ and you're just seeking to figure out what things that my parents taught me is true according to the word and what things maybe were just preferences or things that they wanted but weren't necessarily true to the word and you're seeking to reconcile the fact that we live in a fallen world but we're trying to understand our eternal realities. We are in the now and not yet where we have on earth as it is in heaven sometimes but it's not all the time, just yet. And so we run into these difficult things that force us to wrestle with our understandings of faith. But it is good for us to do that because it strengthens us and it grounds us even deeper. We have to let adolescence wade through the waters of uncertainty in search of truth. If you force things on them and don't let them wrestle with stuff, they will run away. We have to sit with them, let them ask hard questions, let there be confusion and be okay if you or I don't know the answer. It's okay to just sit and be with someone and cry. We don't always have to fix everything. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate comforter, not just you or I. We have to be willing to sit and wrestle with people as they struggle to figure out what it's like to reconcile truths in here, but realities in our present moment that don't make sense in our soul, in our heart, or our mind. And from this stage, through this wrestling, we eventually move into adulthood. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. Adults, 
They give their life away for the betterment of others. They are resilient in the face of uncertainty. They are people of peace in an ancient world and they give grace in a harsh environment. When adults are selfish and they do not give their lives away, they do tremendous damage. The easiest example of this is parents. Anytime a parent chooses not to lay their life down for their children and sacrifice, they do immense and tremendous damage that can have generational negative impact. It's the same for being spiritually mature in the faith. We have to be people that lay our lives down for the sake of others. That is the call. That's what we are being led by the spirit of truth into all truth, into doing with joy. It's not just this like sacrificial giving to the point that you're exhausted and you eventually collapse. It's a joy-filled, self-sacrificial giving because you recognize what God has called you to and you're being filled in a different type of way because you're living according to the word. And when you live according to this book, you are filled with all types of joy, all types of peace, all things that surpass our own understanding. And he fills us for the work that he calls us to, laying down our lives for the sake of others. A mature church, we want to sacrifice position, power, and privilege to elevate those who are around us. We want to live lives with our hands held open, not holding on to that which is God's. Generational impact of resilient disciples. We should ask ourselves this bottom two questions. Who are you submitted to that is calling you higher and investing in you? And who is submitted to you that you are calling higher and pouring into? If we want to be a church, if we want to be a people that has generational kingdom impact, this is how it looks. You can look through all the Old Testament examples, all the New Testament examples, and there's someone above, someone in the middle, and someone below. And there is always this pouring of the spirit down this process of creating generational impact and building resilient disciples. And it doesn't work any other way. The call is to go and make disciples. And if we aren't doing some form of this, where there is someone that we're pouring into and someone who's pouring into us, we will feel empty and we will feel like we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing or what we're supposed to be at because it's true. Like if you're not doing these things and you feel like your faith is light or empty, that's why, because that's what the kingdom is calling us to. We're gonna close with two quotes from two amazing women missionaries. Sometimes when we read the words of those who have been more than conquerors, we feel almost despondent. I feel that I shall never be like that. But they won through step by step, by little bits of will, little denials of self, little inward victories, by faithfulness in very little things, they became what they are. No one sees these little hidden steps. They only see the accomplishment. But even so, those small steps were taken. There is no sudden triumph, no spiritual maturity that is the work of the moment. If we hold tightly to anything given to us unwilling to allow it to be used as the giver means it to be used, we stunt the growth of the soul. What God gives us is not necessarily ours, but ours, only ours to offer back to him ours to relinquish, ours to lose, ours to let go of. If we want to be our true selves, many deaths must go into reaching our maturity in Christ. 
many letting goes. Those are some quotes right there. (laughs) Those are women who lived lives of faith until the end. And that's how you get quotes like that because they understood that little steps of obedience, many deaths of ourself in order to reach maturity in Christ is what is needed for us. Many letting goes. We're gonna go into a time of ministry. So if our worship teams wanna come up and if the teams wanna come up, there were a couple things that I felt like uh, the spirit uh, wanted me to highlight for people to come and receive prayer for. The first is accepting the role of the spirit of truth in your life the process of conviction and repentance and obedience. This requires us to be open and honest about how we're actually living our lives and whether or not they li- it looks like what Jesus tells us it should look like. And if it doesn't, we should repent and we should ask for God to change our heart and to continue from that point forward into obedience in those areas. The second is making a commitment to pursue maturity. Put childish ways behind you. Prayer for what? Come and receive prayer for what it looks like for you in this season. And then the last is, if you have prayer, if you would like to receive prayer for any need, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, you can come and receive prayer for that as well. Um, The last thing I want to say before we go uh, into this ministry time is that the Holy Spirit is not a power to be wielded, but a person to be known. And so if you just feel like you don't know the Holy Spirit and your only experience of him is this like intangible thing that we're supposed to throw at people so that they fall out or whatever, I would like to introduce you to the Holy Spirit this morning. And so would our teams. So I encourage you to come and just receive prayer and that the Holy Spirit would baptize you this morning in a new way like you've never encountered. And from that point forward, allow the Holy Spirit to lead both you and I into all truth. So King Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you that you chose to go away and send the Holy Spirit. I thank you for Pentecost. I thank you that we no longer are the same, that the veil has been torn, that you have invited us into intimacy that we never could have had before. And that a part of this journey with you is accepting your role of the spirit and truth in our lives as you lead us through obedient steps according to your word into greater understanding of what it's like to be like Christ in the world. So Lord, as we enter into this ministry time, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would fall on us again. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you Pentecost us this morning, Lord? Would you come and touch us and refresh us and renew us? Would we leave this room changed? Would we leave this room challenged and called to live according to the higher call that you have called us to? Jesus, we love you and we trust you. And it's in your name we pray.